I'm not a serial entrepreneur, I'm a serial failure. I failed 51 projects, eight companies, and only one worked. And the only one that worked was selling sex toys. So imagine how bad the other were. GM and welcome to DeFire, your crypto storytelling podcast that always keeps you guessing when the next episode's gonna drop. Well, today is today, and today we got someone super interesting on the show, Alan Fry. Now, Alan is not your usual crypto guy. He is actually an entrepreneur who made his first million selling sex toys online, and now he's chasing an Olympic dream in curling, you know, the sport on the ice rink. And he's doing that not for Switzerland, but for the Philippines. That's a cool running story right there that we're going into. But you might ask, what about crypto? Well, Alan stepped his toe into crypto in a way that's totally on brand for him. And he's gone ahead and tokenized his future earnings with the Alan Fry company, all under Swiss law. So that's some next level stuff and exactly why I had to get him on DeFire. So even though we're usually all about crypto, today is going to be a bit different. We're leaning heavy into some epic storytelling. And trust me, Alan has some really interesting stories to tell, some fun anecdotes about entrepreneurship, his philosophy. And of course, we're going to talk about his Olympic dreams and all in between. This is really worth listening to. Let's jump right into the story. So, Alan, um, what I have here about you is you're 41 years old, Swiss entrepreneur, half Swiss, but also Filipino roots, yes, right? Yes, exactly. And you made a fortune selling uh, sex toys online. Yes. And then you sold this company. Amurana around three years ago. Yes, exactly. And then you, instead of like going the route of uh, amassing a lot of stuff, buying your Lamborghini, you actually went the other direction. Yeah. You sold all the stuff. You lived in a hotel for three years. Exactly. And now when you go to your website now, it says life hacker, uh, Uber Eats uh, rider and potential uh, future Olympic. Not potential, future Olympic curler. Fu oh, wow, yeah. okay. Not this potential, is future Olympic curler. Okay, that, that's yeah. already in the books then. Yeah, that's in the books. That's uh -huh. in, the, in, in my head it is. Yes, exactly. So uh, I, I created a company. Uh, I was selling dildos for the last 10 years, then sold it, and I was working still on, in the company until um, end of last year. And now I'm a um, full-time curler. I drive Uber Eats on the side and I try to to hack my life by doing things the easier way, doing more with, with uh, less input. You also have a podcast. Uh, check it out. It's at alanfry.com. And your first question usually with the guests is like, who are you? I, I changed it because it was stolen. Uh, I changed my first question to why do you do what you do? This one is unique, but if you ask me, who am I? Um, I was selling dildos for the last 10 years, so uh, dildo seller. Um, um, then I'm, as mentioned, I try to hack life. I try to make life easier while adding adventure to it. That's something I'm trying. I'm a, a middle-aged dude that's a bit overweight that tries to go to the Olympics. So all in all, I just like to do things a bit different than most people. The reason behind it is, like many people, or most people, I have an infinite uh, amount of days on this earth, and I just want to make it fun. That's all I, I want to do. Now you have a finite, another inf in uh, uh, finite. finite. Yes, yeah. I have a finite, not an infinite. Maybe with the, with the uh, longevity theme, I will have an infinite, but uh, <laughs> no, I, have a, I have a finite. I have, uh -huh. a fi I have this app where I 
calculate. So my dad died when he was 59, and my grandfather died when he was 59. And then I have this app um, called Big Day. Usually people use it for countdowns for their holidays. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go on holidays in summer, it has like the countdown. And they use it for me, and it's called Days Until You Die. Uh, so I calculated how many days I have until I'm 59, and now it's 6,709 days. Oh, wow. And that's not a lot. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. We, I, I would love to dive into that, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going to, because 59 is a little bit pessimistic. Um, yeah, I'm you know? not sure. I, I think on average it's pessimistic, but for me it's quite a good guess because um, my genes have the tendency that they will die with 59. So for me, it's not uh, a pessimistic. I think it's a realistic thing. Okay. Um, so I, I need to actively work against that. Uh, my father was overweight. My grandfather was smoking. My uncle died also quite, quite early. So, you know, I'm not sure if it's pessimistic or more realistic. Um, okay. So... But yeah. let's not just not make it a self-fulfilling prophecy because, yeah. you know, like if you have like this timer going down to 59, then it, it, it almost, I don't know. For I me, won't kill myself when I'm 59. <laughs> uh, you know, that won't happen. But uh, uh. It, it just gives me this, this urgency of life mm -hmm. when I look at it. And it's even worse when you divide it into weeks. So you have mm -hmm. like 6,700 nine days and you divide that into weeks it's less than a thousand weeks oh wow and, and weeks this go is, by so quickly sometimes yes, and this is crazy you know less than a thousand weeks and if you think about that it's like okay fuck mm -hmm. i have no time yeah. i have no time to waste i'm just going fucking all in <laughs> all right and uh, Look, for, for the guests asking, like, we haven't talked about crypto yet. Yeah. Uh, let's weave that in. and Let's do that. Um, it's, DeFi is a crypto storytelling podcast. That's why I wanted to have you on. And now I have an excuse to have you on because I know you have so many good stories. And we also have now a reason to bring you on and because you have the Alan Frey company yeah. that um, is tokenizing its shares. Yes. Uh, with Aktionariat and Lucius Meiser, yeah. the founder of Aktionariat, has been on the show. Check it out. Um, and we are going to talk about uh, about yeah. all of that. But before that, let's start in the beginning with, um, you know, like entrepreneurship, because I'm also passionate about that. And you have had a huge success, of course, with Amorana. Yeah. But you also had quite some misfortunes before or like, let, let's say you yeah. tried a lot. I tried a lot. Yeah. So l let me give you the backstory. And, and for me, it's very important, you know, that um, only because one thing worked. It doesn't mean that I'm uh, like very successful. Uh, there's this um, this word called a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I'm not a serial entrepreneur. I'm a serial failure. I failed 51 projects, eight companies, and only one worked. And the only one that worked was selling sex toys. So imagine how bad the other were. So I tried so many things since university. I always tried, you know, starting a new company, internet company didn't work, had to work a little bit again, you know, on the side, uh, helping in consulting and at the university and then trying again and try and try and try. And we had the idea 2013, 14 for selling sex toys online and bringing sex toys from a niche market to a mass market. So I could take all my learnings the things that didn't work out and put it into that company 
And that one worked out and made me financially free. And what were like the 50 projects? Just give us like a, a range of yeah. what were you thinking about back then? Yeah. And how did those ideas form usually? So um, I was studying uh, in China 2003, four. So uh, I saw how the growth in China started there. You know, it was like everybody was super excited to do business. And there were a lot of Swiss tourists going to China and our idea was, you know what, there will be a lot of rich Chinese and they want to bring their children to schools, to Swiss schools, and they want to have medical service in Switzerland and want to buy watches and stuff like that. So our, our idea was to bring Chinese people to Switzerland. And I think that was a good idea, but we didn't bring anyone to Switzerland. Uh, we just had like fancy business cards. We had two big suits, you know, walking around telling people that we are bringing Chinese people to Switzerland. That was when I was 20 and that didn't work out. So that was one idea. Uh, then uh, I'm the inventor of the mango schnapps. So I bought the mango plantation for $5,000 and we created a mango schnapps. The schnapps was awful. You couldn't drink it. Uh, then when Facebook came along, we tried Facebook dating apps and platforms where you can find a new apartment. That didn't work. Then we tried something to digitalize death, you know, where you had your digital vault with all your belongings in it and your passwords. And when you die, then, uh, you know, people you want to have access to can have access to. I tried mm -hmm. so many things. None of them worked. Wow, but th th that's quite a, a huge menu of ideas. And some of them sounded pretty good. Yeah. But yeah. We also had, the, the, I was mentioning before I was studying China. And when I came back from China, one problem I had was that uh, the taxi ride when I arrived in China from the airport to the university was 10 times more expensive than the ride when I was going from the university back to the airport like a year later. So mm. the reason behind it is that there's like this asymmetry of information and I just paid so much more when I arrived in China than leaving China. And so we wanted to do a platform. The platform was called taxifee.com, where you could book your taxis and we would calculate the route that would cost. And you, the idea is you can book taxis. So it was like a pre-Uber thing, 2007 or eight. All also didn't work. And we mm -hmm. would have never made something like Uber in a billion years. But the idea behind it was there, you know, like mm -hmm. making the taxi service transparent and better. Yeah, and so it's really a, a big problem that a lot of people still have. I mean, even yeah. I, arriving at the airport, I'm always super skeptical about all these yeah. people screaming, taxi, taxi. Yeah. Okay, no, but that's uh, very interesting. And I think it shows that you have been really open-minded about wh whatever you wanted to do. So it sounds to me that selling sex toys probably wasn't a passion uh, yeah. in that sense because you just wanted to be successful. Yeah, uh, you're right, you're right, yeah. yeah. When was the moment that you felt, okay, with uh, now selling sex toys online, that was a good idea and that's yeah. something really worth pursuing? Yeah, that was probably one thing I had to learn. None of the things I was really passionate about. It was very opportunistic. It was like, okay, there's a business, let's try it. That was my approach. Today, when I'm 41 years old, you know, it, it looks a bit different. Um, I'm in a different position. It's really about things I really care about and uh, products I care about and it's not just about making the money part but when I was young it was you know was how can we build a new business in that market 
we just saw this opportunity where we saw that probably sex toys will go from a niche market to a mass market. Not because we were so smart, but because there was a movie called Fifty Shades of Grey. And because of that movie, Fifty Shades of Grey, which isn't the best movie in the world, but a lot of people watched it. So we saw that there's a huge interest for sex toys and things around sex toys and movies and stuff like that. And we knew we can bring this market from niche to mass market. That was our idea. And, you know, connecting the dots, looking backwards, the reason behind it is my passion is for creating stories with great people. That's what I really love. And I saw that, you know, taking this, this sex toy market to a mass market is a great story. Mm-hmm. When I went to dinners and I told people what I'm doing, I had to talk for an hour about sex toys. People were so interested in it. And that's something I realized. The other startups I did, I always had to convince people, you know, I had to tell them, okay, you want to have your online digital vault when you die, blah, blah, blah. You need to do this and this and this. And I always had to convince people. Mm-hmm. But I, when I told people that I sell sex toys, they started asking questions. You know, they were like, okay, oh, this is great. So how do they work? What's your best seller? Who, who orders more? And then I realized, okay, you don't need to convince people, but you need to have a good story that people are engaged in and want to ask questions. And this became a mantra of me, not convincing people, but creating great stories so that people are interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you really embrace that uh, that side, right? You're one of the few, let's say, Swiss entrepreneurs that people kind of know nowadays um, because you, you're very outspoken, you're, you're a storyteller, as you said, yeah. you are very active on LinkedIn, you also have your podcast, your show, etc. But it, it always feels like whatever you do, like, for instance, um, you're now an Uber Eats driver, it, it, you always do it. So a little part of it is for the story, right? Yes, uh, <laughs> I, I think a, a, good, a great part for uh-huh. it is, is for the story. And, you know, on a, on a negative side, people can say, okay, this is very egocentric and it's all about uh, the story. But for me, it's just the things I really love to do. It's like create fun stories. And this is how most people's brain are wired is they think in stories. And that's what I'm really good at, you know, creating having a theme and then thinking about it, how to create a story around it so people will remember it. Mm-hmm. And most startups and most founders, they are too, let's call it product focused or detail focused instead of bringing the story why it's important to do that. That's something that I just realized through Amorana because when I was talking with people, the questions they asked and why they wanted to know so much about sex toys, it was not, it was not the vibrator. You know, the vibrator, the anal plug was, the, was just the, the beginning, you know, to start the conversation, but there was so much more they wanted to know about. And I realized, okay, talking in stories makes people remember your company and you and will make it easier in the future to remember you again. So I just create these these stories. Uh, and that's luckily that's something uh, I'm okay uh, mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I heard your story before, but I think it hasn't probably been told many times in English. Um, did you guys bootstrap Amurana from, from scratch? Um, no, we didn't no? bootstrap. Uh, so every other startup uh, I bootstrapped, uh, except one or two, that we had some investors and that didn't work out. Um, so we we read this study that 90% of couples want to try more in bed, but they are afraid to ask. So we decide, you know what, we will create this a subscription box where you get once a month sex toy as a surprise. So uh, what we did is we created a, a landing page very quickly, took all our private email address and sent out an email to 4,000 people and like three, three people bought something without us having any products. So we went to the sex toy shops, the local ones, bought everything that was 50% off, like massage oils and stuff like that, put it into the box, send it out, and then we received a very angry emails because the, the massage oil was expired. Oh, no. And we were like, oh, hey, it's us. We are trying this new business. And they were like, okay, the idea is good, but the execution is bad. Uh, you need to improve that. So this part we bootstrapped. We started with the idea, created this idea, and then we realized quickly that when we want to grow, we need to move from a subscription-based model to a shop model where people, uh, because people were Googling dildos, vibrators, mm -hmm. but no, nobody was Googling sex toys in a subscription-based model. Um, and so we had to find for sex toys and the warehouse and we had to finance that. So uh, we financed it ourselves in the beginning and then we went to banks and asked them, you know what, can you finance that? And we were like, no, we cannot finance you that. You're too young and it's sex toys, we won't do that. And then we needed uh, financing. So mm -hmm. we got pretty quickly, we got financing. So the box in the beginning was bootstrapped, but then we got funding. Okay, okay, great. And let's jump now to the next story because you have so many and I teased some of them, for instance. We are not talking about crypto at all. <laughs> <laughs> we will get there, we'll yeah. get there soon. <laughs> no, but I, I, I'm very fascinated and I can imagine a lot of listeners as well, they perked their ears and it's like, okay, there's this guy and he, he he's, was living, like, first of all, he's a minimalist. You only had like 80 things, right? Yeah. But you, you also lived in a hotel. Yeah. But uh, what people probably don't know is that it was a tiny hotel room, like 17 it, yeah. square meters. Yeah, it was. A, so I sold the company and my big dream was always um, to live in a hotel. Uh, I always had very few things. Um, I'm not a minimalist anymore, but I started minimalism a bit before I started Amorana. And I was like something for 12, 13 years a minimalist had very few things at home, like 150 things. And I was like, hey, can I have even less things by um, moving into a hotel? And the big dream, instead of buying a Lamborghini and stuff like that, I decided, you know what, I, I want to I wanna live in a hotel. And then I went to different five-star hotels. And I told him, you know, I'm coming here. And the service, you know, I expected a bit more. And that was uh, just uh, during COVID. And there was a kind of sadness in these hotels, in these large hotels. And I was like, oh, okay, that's not working out. And then a friend of mine, she worked at Citizen M. And she was like, hey, you know, it's not this fancy hotel, but it's very technical. Uh, you know, there's like a lot of gadgets you control with your iPhone. And uh, we have this great coffee and uh, you can work here. And I was like, okay, let's check it out. And I looked at it. It was super small, but very functional. People maybe uh, might know Citizen M. They all look the same. And I loved it from day one. I was like, okay, 
this makes me so happy, you know, to control everything through your phone. And and uh, then I decided to go there. And I was living there almost three years in that hotel. That's that's crazy. And uh, like when you said you didn't buy a Lambo, but you lived in a hotel, is, is it expensive to live in a hotel? Hey, during COVID, it was super cheap because they had like no one. Um, so I paid in the first year, I paid, you know, in Switzerland, Zurich, which is uh, quite expensive. Uh, but in the first year, I paid 60 francs a night, which is 1,800 francs. Um, it was downtown Zurich. It was best location. Uh, you can't find any a room in a shared flat for 1800 in that location. Mm -hmm. So that was very cheap. But then they, they increased prices um, after the first year, second year, and in the end it was like 3300 which was mm -hmm. quite a lot. But, you know, you need to remember, I didn't have to pay anything for internet. I didn't pay water. I didn't pay toilet paper. I didn't pay uh, anything, you know, like um, laundry stuff except my shirts. And... That was that was crazy. And the best thing is you save a lot of time. I yeah. didn't have to do anything. They did everything for me. And the coolest thing is every morning you go down, everybody's happy, you know, because they're paid to be nice to you. <laughs> so that was like, okay, everybody was super nice uh -huh. all the time. Uh, so bre like breakfast that. included? Or? No, uh, breakfast would have been uh, 10 francs, but uh, at that point I was like... Uh, trying to do intermittent mm -hmm. fasting, so I didn't have... Okay. I just had my coffee uh, every day there. All right. Hey, uh, Alan, um, next story would be... Um, what, what, what would you think is a good story to tell? I mean, we have the Olympic curler. I think we have to go that route. Yeah, let's do that. And then we, we dig into, in, into crypto yes. afterwards. So yes. let's, let's, let's finish the, 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 the self-promotion <laughs> about me. Um, yeah, so uh, very quickly, I, I sold the company last year, as I mentioned. Uh, so I sold it in two parts, the first uh, about three years ago and the, the last part uh, last year. And um, in January, I stepped on a personal scale and I saw I was 102 kilos with one meter 73. And that was a lot and that was very obese, unhealthy. Uh, I did some blood work, uh, blood tests, and my doctor just told me, you know, uh, everything is red, it's really bad. Uh, so you need to improve that. And then again, I was like, okay, now I have money and I have time. So you know what, I, I, I want to get rid of this unhealthy living and I want to become skinnier. And the idea then was, okay, I needed, again, a story for myself. And I was like, okay, thinking about it. And then I came up with obese to Olympics. So I was had a BMI of 35. I was obese too. And I decided, you know what? How far can I get if I put time and money into the project Olympics? And how far can I get to come to the Olympics? So I'm half Swiss, half Filipino, so I realized quickly I don't have any chance for Switzerland in the winter or summer Olympics. And I realized quickly that I don't have any chance for the Philippines in the summer Olympics. But I have a tiny, tiny chance to go to the winter Olympics for the Philippines. So I hired the lawyer. I told him to uh, read through all um, the, the statutes of uh, every Olympic sport and tell me which sport is the easiest to get into. 
and they, they came back and they were like, okay, uh, it's cross country. Cross country is the easiest way to get into the Olympics. So I started with cross country and I had like zero talent. It didn't work <laughs> out at all. It is hard. It, it is was hard. really hard. Uh -huh. And I thought it's easier because, you know, skiing and stuff, but it was really hard. No talent. And then something like, uh, I would say like six, seven months ago, I got it. And I told everybody, I'm going to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. And six, seven months ago, I got an email. And there was this guy, his name is Christian, and he wrote me an email and he was like, hey, Alan, my name is Christian. I'm like half, like you, half Filipino. I've been curling since 26 years and I want to go to the Olympics. Can we have a phone call? I was like, yeah, sure. And then uh, he, I called him up and he was like, there's this incredible situation. There is besides him, who is a curler, who has been a curler for 26 years, two other half-Filipinos living in Emmental, Bern, and their professional curling players, also half-Filipinos. And these three had a WhatsApp group, and for curling you need four people. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, he was like, yeah, and do you want to be the fourth person? And I was like, I never curled in my life, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, fuck cross-country. I'm not doing cross-country anymore. Mm -hmm. And I told him I want to be part of your team. And then I told him I will promise you two things. The first thing I will promise you is I will train really, really hard. So since April, I've been training every weekday. I'm on that ice rink training curling. So six, seven months, almost every day training is the first thing. And the second thing that I promised to them is this will be the best sponsored curling team that ever existed. And this might be also a transition then into mm -hmm. into crypto. Uh, there are a lot of play to earn and crypto things in the Philippines. So, you know, um, our goal is something like to be something like the first uh, Bitcoin curling team that ever existed or something like mm. that. So, yeah. And, and now we came really far and it's it's a bit like a joke gone too far because we had our first qualification game end of October in Canada and we played against these great nations of curling like Saudi Arabia, Kenya, Brazil, Mexico <laughs> and uh, we were okay. like we, we were second behind China because China is really good and they dropped down from category A to category B where we are playing because of COVID mm -hmm. and now they're back at A and next year we also need to qualify for A so then we can proceed but yeah that's that was the story. Oh wow and I mean, that, that's a great story. I mean, that's like cool runnings, but um, for curling, right? For curling. It's okay. like the boring cool runnings because it's uh -huh. on flat ice. Yeah, but no, but still, I mean, you know, when you when you do such a thing, which is sounds like a cool story, like it, it sounds like you started with the tagline, you know, like a marketer starts with the hook. Exactly. From a beast to, to, to Olympics. Yeah. But then you actually really have to do it. And you have to. Do you now like curling? Is it a cool sport? Do you enjoy it? Hey, or man, how is it? In the beginning, I didn't like it at all. I was just by myself on that ice rink. Um, the, the only happiness I had was on Wednesday because then I wasn't alone. Like old people came and played curling on Wednesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And you played. You couldn't play with the other guys. No, the other guys. You know, they they're had, in burn. They, they're in burn and their jobs, and and I just had. To, and they were they're good curlers. Yeah, I had to catch up, okay. so I had to train by myself, and then I had a curling coach, and and in the beginning it was like you know it was cold by myself. Mm -hmm. It was very slippery, and uh, but now 
now I really love the sport. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it makes me so happy to be on that ice rink because suddenly now, you know, the stones go where I want them to go. Uh, I understand the game and it became like my my happy place, you know, playing, curling by myself, getting the stone on the ice, you know, sliding out. And it's such a fantastic sport because it's like chess on the ice. You know, it's very strategic. And understanding that strategy is very interesting. And the curling sport is built on on tension that the last stone is very important. So I I started loving that sport because also the people behind it, they are very down to earth people. You know, you the the spirit of curling is if you win a game, you pay the other guys a beer. Uh, you sit together after every game. You never win against zero. You always give them one point. You know things like that and unwritten rules. Yes, and yeah. or, and it's so such a nice sport, and people are very nice and uh, start loving that sport. And what what are the chances now that you are becoming an Olympic curler at um, the moment? When I started the project in April two thousand twenty-three, I would have said the chances are below one percent. And now, you know, uh, everybody has the passport now. We have the Filipino Olympic Committee is behind us. We have the Filipino Olympic Curling Association. We are part of the World Curling Federation. And we could play our first game and we are not too bad at it. I would say we are something at 25%. Uh, that's my guess at this point. But for me, it doesn't matter. You know, if it's 1%, 2%, it doesn't matter. I have no plan B. That's that's what I'm doing, you know, and so yeah. But but for the the, the next games, which are 2026 six. Six in Milano, right? Yes, exactly, Mi Milano Cortina. Okay, yeah. okay that's 25%. the goal. Yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah the, the goal is to walk into that stadium at the opening ceremony. Mm -hmm. That's the goal, you know. That feeling of a guy who's 41 years old, obese, and making it to the Olympics walking in into that stadium with the flag how cool is that <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds like yeah. i mean it's a great story and it's obviously also a cool experience yeah um if you can be part of that yeah. that i i wish you luck with, with thank that you journey, very much definitely. thank you and i'm going to follow it for sure okay um yeah let's now go wow. into the crypto stuff um let, let me how do i i already introduced it basically you have now Your next venture, besides becoming a curler, yeah. is the Alan Frey company. Yeah. And you can buy shares of that company. Yes. However, I didn't understand. Or what is what is the product? What am I buying when I buy a token, an yeah. Alan Frey token from Actionariat? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> what do you get? So the first thing is, what you get is you get shares of the Alan Frey company. So uh, in Switzerland, we have this uh, great law where you can link tokens to shares. Um, it's it's similar to an ICO, but with the big difference that with the ICO, you just have the coins, but you don't have any rights to it, you mm -hmm. know? And so a lot of rock pulls were done with ICOs, right? Today in Switzerland, you can tokenize your company uh, on, on Ethereum and Then they link the shares to it. So the shares are tradable from day one, which is mind-blowing for me because suddenly you don't need any exchange anymore. You can sell the shares directly and, and resell. You know, the whole mm -hmm. concept of a ledger 
It's like a shareholder's table is nothing else than just a ledger. Mm -hmm. And that's so cool to see that. And so to answer your questions, what do you buy? Um, I'm like the first person who tokenized himself in Europe. And you are buying shares of the Alan Fry company, which will give you access to my future created wealth, whatever it is. And now that's not something, you know, where you say, okay, is this really something I want to buy into? You know, you need to have a product and I know that. And the model I'm using is, uh, I call it the Mr. Beast model, um, is you know, Mr. Beast, the largest YouTuber in the world, creates content, builds a community, uh, creates products uh, that uh, fit that community. I do exactly the same. I have, I have a YouTube channel nobody's watching yet. I have a TikTok channel. Young people make jokes about me, but I'm trying content with the podcast, with my newsletter. I'm trying to create content around optimization, life hacking, startups. Then I start building a community of people I really like to hang around with, optimizers, entrepreneurs, travelers. That's what make, makes me really happy. And then I create products for me first. So I have my uh, travel jacket with a lot of bags in it, but it looks really cool. It's like urban traveling. I have this backpack you can transform into a suitcase very quickly. Uh, it's the, the fastest way to go through customs at the airport. I have the pants that are super secure with zippers and magnets, so nothing drops out. The, the pockets are protected in the sense of they're like, What is Strahlenschutz in English? Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, electromagnet, uh, magnetic waves or, you know, yeah. like the handy way. Uh, yeah. The you, mobile the, phone waves. Yes, <laughs> the waves are like they protect your 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 balls. Yeah, your <laughs> and, sperm kind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, <laughs> you can't skim your credit card with, with it, oh. uh, which is pretty neat. And so I'm, I'm just creating like different products first for me. Mm -hmm. And then what I will do is, you know, I document the whole process and I, then I go out and say, hey, uh, community, if you also want these pants, you know, you can buy them. Um, so that's what I'm doing is creating content around optimization startups, create a community of life hackers and uh, entrepreneurs and create products for the community. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a quite an interesting model. Um, You said there's a, a secondary market basically for yeah. the tokens. Um, what is your company worth right now? What are you selling the tokens for and what uh, market cap would so you the, have? So the share is 1.42 Swiss francs per share, uh, which makes it, uh, which has a market cap of something like uh, 14 million. That's the market cap right now. Uh, there's no revenue yet, so there's only costs I'm investing uh, right now. I think the really interesting model will come down the road where my my idea was always, okay, you have this direct to consumers through social media. But what will be really interesting if you have consumers and you can make them to co-owners very easily. Mm -hmm. And with tokenized shares, it's so easy. If somebody's buying a jacket for 400, 500 francs, I just tell, you know what, for... 10% of the revenue of the of the price you bought, you will get shares, you know, I will make you a co-owner. I want that the people in that community are co-owners. The reason behind it is, if, you know, if you take again, Mr. Beast, 
of Mr. Beast. I'm part of his community. I'm watching his, his, his videos. But I'm not making any profits on his chocolate and watching his YouTube videos. How cool would it be if I'm part of that community and be also a co-owner? Mm -hmm. And that's the whole concept. And that's why I'm so obsessed with this tokenization of, of shares, because it makes it so easy. It makes it tradable. And that part for me, making customers a co-owner is mind-blowing. But I'm still at the very beginning. This takes four or five years until I'm there where I want to be. But the cool thing with that company is, you know, it's not about, I don't, I don't need to have speed. You know, most companies, if you're doing a fintech or, or you know, just a, any startup, speed is of the essence. With me, it's not because I'm selling me as a product. So I just want to create content and have a bigger community. And then, uh, you know, I have the direct connection to the community and Mm -hmm. I can sell my pants or I can sell any other thing. So I don't need to have a, a quick process. So I can really focus on creating great products with great value. Yeah. What, what it, it reminds me of how you describe this community building and this discoverability. Like if, if I'm betting on you, I discovered you as a content creator, I can buy your token. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure if you have heard about it. There's this... Um, Rapper? Friend Tech. It's a, oh, yeah. it's a, a social, basically um, a social media company. Yeah. Um, social media. No, what I'm saying. No, a social, a yeah. social network. Sorry, yeah. social yeah. network company called Friend Tech. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a Twitterish uh, kind of yeah. thing, but you have to buy the token of the person that you follow, and oh. then you can trade tokens, and basically yeah. the token goes up in value. Yeah, and you know. That really fascinates me about tokens and blockchain. So I, a friend of mine gave me a tenth of a Bitcoin 2014, and I don't know where it is. And in 2016, uh, I bought my first Ether and, and sold it again at $150 and, and then had to go back again. So it was more on the how can I make money with it? And now, you know, seeing this huge potential of what the technology can do, especially with, with having tokenized my share and, and uh, or another thing I'm doing is I want to use blockchain NFT for is I have a lot of friends who are, you know, making jokes about me and doubters. So I take a print <laughs> screen and then I make an NFT out of it and uh, upload it so I can hopefully sell them back uh, what they said in, uh, in 10, 15 years. So I, I like the technology about it. Uh -huh. It's fascinating uh -huh. for me. Okay. Uh, yeah, because like continuing with this um, friend tech and comparison, what, what you have now in, in, in this setup with Actionariat is you have literally a company, right? I mean, yeah. there's a Swiss law and you have like exactly. a... Uh, a company and that, that you have to have like statements as you said in yeah. common uh, and you have rights right yeah. you have a, we have rights as a shareholder mm -hmm. and, and this is you know you didn't have that with ICOs right you don't didn't have any rights at this point so yeah yeah it's it's not completely decentralized it's like you know a government body surrounding it would it be better if there's like a completely smart contract on it uh, i would prefer that but we are not yet there so this is like the first step mm -hmm. towards it You mentioned ah, my future earnings, yeah. but um, what earnings? I mean, in, in terms of 
let's say you you become successful Olympic curler. Yeah. Do I get a share of the revenue from your sponsorships? Let's mm -hmm. say you become like a public figure and you have sponsorship money. Um, I don't know, uh, a watch yeah. is, is sponsoring you. Do yeah. I get that or do I get, you mentioned the, the clothes yeah. that you, you're producing and selling. What exactly would I get like when yeah. I'm betting on you as a, as a person? So if I win the gold medal, I will divide it through all shareholders. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, jokes aside. Um, so everything... I will earn in the future through that company will be divided through the shareholders. To make it very transparent, so when I made my exit, I invested in like 10 companies. I have my ETFs, uh, I have my bank account. That's pre-Ellen Fry company tokenization. So that money and that assets, this is not part of the company. That's my private asset, my freedom. Everything from this point on future will go into it. So uh, when I'm having a speech and I send an invoice, that money is going into the company. So when there's a profit on it, it will be divided by the shareholders. Everything I sell clothing, every ad revenue on every YouTube video will go to the shareholders. You mentioned before Olympics, right? So the Olympics for me, if you think about it, is just one gigantic story it's just great content so i realized that quickly so i told all my teammates you know what we need to make a movie about that that we need to because it's like cool runnings let's mm -hmm. document the whole process so what i did is i hired this filmmaker he came with us and he documented everything so the idea is that all of my teammates and the filmmaker we have a part of of that um of that movie and my part of the movie will be a part of the Elm Fry company. So, you know, if, if the movie will get any revenues in the future, that will go into it. So everything I'm creating will go in there mm -hmm. and will divide it by the shareholders. Oh, wow. Okay. And then you have like a dividend, of course, some stuff you use to reinvest and then basically shareholders, uh, I mean, it's still also Swiss law, right? You have to have a shareholder meeting maybe I don't yeah, know. I'm not yeah. too familiar you have a, you have a general uh, assembly mm -hmm. and yes uh, so like in every other company uh, you know uh, you will have costs so you you have revenue and then you subtract costs and with the rest you have a part of it will stay within the company and the other part will go out as dividends when you're profitable I won't be profitable for the next three to four years I will invest a lot but then when it turns profitable uh, you know it will go in there um, the other cool thing is because it's tokenized, you can sell your shares at any point when there's liquidity. And the question is, how do you provide liquidity? You know, is, is there a market of people buying it? Mm. Uh, I hope in the future, because Aktionariat is working on adding these tokens to a large exchanges, you know, hopefully one day you, you can buy maybe in Coinbase or wherever you want to buy the tokens, you can buy them there. But the other thing is I'm also providing liquidity. When people are buying shares, the money goes into the company and 10% of that money I'm putting aside to have a liquidity pool. So whenever you think, okay, you know what? I need to sell for 500 francs shares or for 1,000 francs because I just need it, you can sell it. Whenever you think, okay, this Alan guy is an idiot. I don't want to work with him. I don't want to be part of it. I'm selling it. 
So that was very important for me that people can vote with their share if they want to be part of it or not. If you don't want it, you can leave at any time and just sell your shares. Mm -hmm. It's very important for me that people can leave when they want. And do shareholders or token holders, will they also have influence on decisions that you bring up, you know, like, ah, should I do, yeah. pursue this way or should we go that way? Yeah. Is, is that part of so it? So that's part of it. I, I want that shareholders have an influence. Uh, imagine you buy a jacket and you test the jacket and you are a consumer. You know, you're like, okay, this jacket is okay, but uh, but here are things that I don't like and blah, blah, blah. You won't write Zara or Nike and tell them, hey, this you could improve. Mm -hmm. But imagine you're a shareholder. You can directly email me and tell me, Alan, this, uh, this jacket is not good. So imagine the feedback loop I'm getting of hundreds of people giving me feedback and hundreds of people being like uh, fans and, and promoting it. So that's the first thing. You have direct access through the community. The second thing is... In the General Assembly, you can vote about things. And I want to go further when the technology makes it possible that you can vote on, on various important things. For example, my, my salary, that might be something people could vote on or uh, the, the strategy we're pursuing. Imagine if it's easy, if you have an app and you, know, you get a question and you have 48 hours to vote and you just say yes, no, or whatever, Uh, I don't know exactly what yet, but yeah, that's the idea. It's like a, a mini DAO. Yeah. What would happen? I mean, what role do you are you having in the, your own company right now? Are you the founder, CEO, you're, you're the only employee at the moment, uh, right? No, no. We are now, we are three employees, ah, okay. uh, including me. And we have uh, three external agencies we work with, we create content with. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So we are three. And... That's the other thing. I want to build a small giant. With Amarana, we had like a lot of employees. I don't want to do that. There's beauty in small companies. And when you have a small company, your costs are low, so your profitability is higher. I, I don't want to build this huge company. When I look at people like uh, podcasts like Tim Ferriss, who has this huge following, he has like two or three employees and he makes such great products and, and content. And I really believe it's possible leveraging technology and not leveraging mm -hmm. people. With the uh, point before where I wanted to go at, could could somebody do like an unfriendly takeover, you know, like buy all the shares and then kick you out of, of uh, your own company? Obviously, <laughs> friends of mine try that. You know, it's like uh, making jokes about it and they ask, so where am I uh, in percentage of, of shareholders. Uh, the problem is I have 95% of it um, and I decide when I want to sell or not. Um, I also strongly believe in the beginning of a company, the founders need to have a, a massive share of it so they're incentivized that they can push that forward. What I'm building has a time horizon of 20, 30 years. I looked for something that I can do for a very, very, very long time. I couldn't do a fintech for 30 years. I would be exhausted. But this, you know, creating content, in interacting with people, creating great stories, that's what I love to do. You know, I would, I'm doing it as for free at this point, you know, not getting anything. I'm investing in it. But down the road, I want to, move it away from my person 
Alan Fry, you know, maybe move it more in the direction of like Tommy Hilfiger. You know, there's this brand called Tommy Hilfiger, but most people don't know who Tommy Hilfiger is. So, yes, today it's very important, but maybe in 10 years, 15 years, it's not that important anymore. It's maybe more have under, other content creators within the company and other models that the, the person Alan Fry is not that important mm -hmm. anymore. That's my vision. Let's see how it will work. Mm -hmm. And you, you have also a lot of um, entrepreneurial uh, experiences and um, mantras. And one thing that I picked up from you and what I'm personally also lacking a little bit, and that's why it resonated with me a lot, you said you found success only once you, you started to focusing on, on something. You tried many things and sometimes many parallel things at the moment. And only once when you really focused and Basically, also probably had more pressure because you, 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 you put your own money in uh, Amorana. You, you, you borrowed money from your brother. I think yeah. um, you really went all in. Um, now you have this freedom. You could do whatever you want. Do you feel like this could be a disadvantage? Because you say, look, I don't have this pressure anymore. I can try many things. I'll go curling. I try, you know. And you can always say, oh, it's it's good content. Um, is that something that you say could be? A burden for, for your entrepreneurial journey, actually. You are a hundred percent right. Uh, I think this is a, you know, this is a big, big issue. The problem with us entrepreneurs like you and me is we always see opportunities everywhere, right? We see a lot of opportunities and this idea would be great and this mm -hmm. would be good and and building this and, and going into that crypto and... and getting that air and making Airbnb. We were talking about Airbnb before, you know, and uh, so you have a lot of ideas. And I knew that this is a problem with me. I knew, okay, I love exploring different things. With Amorana, I was like, okay, let's focus on one thing and one thing only. That brought me success. And now, I'm financially free now, suddenly it's like, hmm, I have all these possibilities. And I was completely aware of that. Okay, suddenly I have all these possibilities. So how do I do it that I don't lose myself in too, doing too many things? Mm -hmm. And then I realized, you know what? If I create the Alan Fry company, I'm not in the board of any other company, not doing anything else, not advisor at any other company. I'm just doing the Alan Fry company. And everything I do needs to be part of that. Then I can diversify in the things I'm doing with the curling, with the content I'm creating, with the products I'm creating, but everything goes in one thing only. And that's the best way for me to tackle that. Could I just have one company and do one thing? Yes, but that's just not what makes me happy. And I wouldn't do that for the next 20, 30 years. But having one company and put everything towards that company is the second best thing in my opinion or in my head. Mm -hmm. Maybe in like two, three years I will tell something different. But the cool thing about it is uh, if we go back to Mr. Beast, you know, Mr. Beast had, uh, had beside his chocolate, he had Mr. Beast Burger, mm -hmm. which was a failure, didn't work out. The, the cloud kitchen company. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware, yeah. And then, you know, people come to me and say, yeah, but did you hear of Mr. Beast that the burgers didn't work out? And I was thinking about it. And then I realized, okay, this business model is even better than I thought. Because imagine you're starting a burger chain 
and the burger chain doesn't work out. The burger chain is done. But Mr. Beast, with his content and his community, started with burgers. They didn't work out, but that didn't kill the business model of Mr. Beast. He's still here, so the next thing he did was chocolate. Oh, that worked suddenly out. So when you have the content and the community, you can test various things. And then you see, you find something that you really like and the, the community also likes. But you have like not only one shot. And if you do a startup with one product only, you have only one shot. Mm-hmm. Let's give some wisdom on the way for, for, for people. Um, Where I want to go with this is when you have to focus so much on your business, growing your business, sometimes you let go of your health, your romantic relationship, um, maybe you have children, etc. I'm also on this journey to become hopefully one day in, uh, financially free and uh, I want to have a balanced life and I'm already striving for it right now, but I feel... Uh, it's really hard, um, it's really hard to be successful entrepreneurial when you also want to be fit and work out a lot or if you want to you know bring your daughter to bed every night uh, stuff like that how do you balance that like do you think personally it is possible to balance that and be successful or do you think you really have to you know let some of these important things go to be successful i believe it's possible i really believe it's possible did i figure it out yet Not yet. I'm also in that journey and I'm in the exactly same struggle. But let me tell where I made some breakthroughs in that process and where I realized, okay, hey, that's moving in the right direction. So the first thing that I realized for me was in psychology, you have like these five pillars. So one is family, the other is mental and physical health, then like the fun part, then your your financial freedom and your work. I think these are like the five. They're like different concepts, but more or less these are the five. So what I did is I took these five pillars and I was looking at them and I was asking myself, so where do I stand from zero to 10 with these five pillars? And I'm doing that once once a while, just going through these five pillars and writing them. And then I realized very quickly that every time I'm, if I add them, you know, maximum you can get 50 points, right, with these five. And when I was below 35, I was stressed out. So I realized, okay, if one of these pillars is not doing too well, I have a problem, right? But if I'm above 40, 41 or 38, you know, I feel really good. So I decided, you know what, I set goals in these five pillars. So I took every of these five pillars and wrote down my most important goal. So I just opened here the the thing. So physical health is my number one goal from obese to Olympics and have 72 kilos weight because then my doctor told me that's good. That's with the physical health, number one goal. Uh, Second one is um, happy family, or I call it happy fellows, like Lord of the Rings. How can I make the people around me happy? My family, my friends, how can I lift them up? What can I do concrete? The third one is uh, business uh, or work. It's having an own company, the Alan Fry company. Okay, how can I thrive with the Alan Fry company? Then the fourth is financial freedom. Uh, How can I have uh, income through dividends, uh, have low costs that I am financially free? And the fifth one is fun. What are the things that uh, that 
make me happy. In my case, you know, that's traveling, drinking coffee with friends, stuff like that. And I just wrote them down. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to pursue these five and these five only, nothing else. And then what happens if you're very strict about these five things, it's, it's all about the input first, you know, realizing what is important and then cutting out everything that's not important. Let me give you an example. So when I sold uh, Amorana, I'm a, in a friends group with a lot of successful entrepreneurs. And then suddenly, you know, somebody um, posted he bought a new Lamborghini or a new Ferrari. And what does my brain say? Ooh, Ferrari. Nice. I want the Ferrari. Mm -hmm. And then I go back. I go to these five pillars and say, okay, is Ferrari somewhere in here? No, it's not. It's not. It's not in here. Mm -hmm. And then I can let it go very easily. Yeah. So I, I first started with the five pillars, set five goals. Then this gives me a lot of clarity. Something comes in and I get excited. I put it through the filter of these five and then I realize, okay, no, it's not part of it. And then I start cutting out. And what I do is I start every morning and just focus on these five things. In the afternoon, I do other things, but in the morning, it's reserved for these five things. And if it's not part of these five things, it doesn't get in there. So this means, first thing, I go to the gym because a, a healthy person has a thousand wishes. An unhealthy person has one wish to become healthy. Step one, how can I make friends and family happy? How can I build the Elm Fry company? For me, it's very clear. It's creating content. So, okay, I need to create content. How can I have fun uh, during my day? And then it gets very clear through that. And I don't need to waste time and energy on things that come into my life. And I need to de decide, do I want to have this in my life? Yes or no? I look at the five pillars, at the five goals. Yes, no. And then it can go away again. That's a powerful um, final statement. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Alan. Frey. Thank you very much. 